Hey guys, so today's interview is with Pat Flynn of SmartPassiveIncome.com and he's a very interesting person. He shares all the tactics and strategies he's learned from you know online marketing to SEO to podcasting to anything. You name it, he's always willing to try new things and he's willing to share his experiences. So I think this is very valuable for any kind of any stage of entrepreneurs, uh, from startup all the way to uh, you know more experienced entrepreneurs, and you know he's also I, I think he's, it's very interesting that he's very transparent with um, his his revenues as well. He's always sharing like his monthly income report, and at the time I interviewed him, he was he did about uh, one hundred forty four thousand dollars in uh, for that month in revenue, and you know he's you can see on his blog he shares each month it's broken down it's very organized all the resources he uses um, so you're sure to get you know a few takeaways from this one, um, and I think you'll really like it. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we introduce and interview successful entrepreneurs and bring you tips on business growth and personal growth. Today we have Pat Flynn, who is a very popular blogger, and he is also a speaker, an ebook writer, and does a whole bunch of different things. So uh, Pat, how are you? I'm uh, doing awesome, Eric. Thanks for having me. Great. Pat, you want to tell us a little bit, kind of, uh, you know, your background, uh, how you got there, kind of like a brief overview of, uh, you know, how you are where you are right now. Sure, I'll try to be brief. Um, it's funny because I went to school for architecture, and uh, which has like nothing to do with what I do now. Uh, but the path from architecture and going to school for architecture just now has been pretty interesting. You know, I got a great job coming out of college in the architecture industry, but in 2008 I had gotten laid off, and I was really fortunate that that happened because at the time I actually had created a site to help me pass an exam. Uh, this was before I got laid off to pass, and uh, it's called the lead exam. I created the site to help me keep track of notes and to help a couple other coworkers. I never planned on turning into a business. But after I got laid off and after sort of researching internet marketing and online business, I discovered this podcast called Internet Business Mastery. And it was on that podcast that I heard an interview with a guy named Cornelius who um, makes a really, really significant living teaching people how to pass project management exam. And that's when a light bulb went off for me. I had this resource already that helped me and a couple of coworkers pass this exam. Maybe I could share it with the world and who knows, maybe it could turn into business. I had no idea what I was doing. But the first thing I learned was if you have a website, you want to get traffic coming to it, and you have to keep track of that traffic somehow. So I put an analytical tool on that site to sort of get ready for the traffic that I was hopefully going to get. Again, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but it was really crazy because the next day when the stats populated on the analytical tool, I saw that thousands of people around the world were already visiting my site every day, and I had no idea how or why this was happening, but apparently I had written so much stuff, I had actually written content on the site for over a year preparing for this exam. Um, and after I passed, I just let it sit there. But over time, Google picks up a lot of the content. People started to find it and share it. And then um, digging deeper into analytics, I saw that a lot of you know, really high-end architecture you know, forums were linking to me. And, and even some of the chapter websites from the company that actually administered the exam were linking to my site as a resource as well. Well, in October of 2008, that's when I published an ebook to sort of help guide my audience that was there to prepare for this exam. There was no other electronic guides out there. There was a lot of big, thick, you know, expensive guides, but nothing sort of on the lower end. So I, I filled in that hole, and in that first month in October of 2008, I had generated $7,908.55 from selling a $19.99 ebook. And it just blew my mind that all this happened and that it was even possible. Um, and and Really, what it changed for me was not only sort of uh, you know my life because I was making more money than I was in architecture, but it changed my perception of how business can be done online. Prior to doing all that stuff, I had this sort of 
preconceived notion that you know doing business online was sort of a scammy, scummy, snake oil field type of industry. Um, because I had researched it before, and it was just very much based off of exaggeration and hype. But here it was, I wasn't doing any of that. I was just simply sharing the resource that I built to help these people. And not only was I making money as a result of sharing this and providing value for them and helping them pass this exam, but I was actually getting a ton of incredible, super lengthy thank you emails and actually a lot of handwritten notes too. Um, so it just showed me that if I could just provide for my audience, I'll always get something back. And that's sort of been my business model ever since. From there, I created the Smart Passive Income blog at smartpassiveincome.com, which is where most people know me from now. And what I do on that site is I just share everything I learned about online business, and I build businesses and share everything that happens along the way, things that go right, things that go wrong, lessons learned, things I wish I should have done better. Um, I also share where, uh, how much money I make every month and where it comes from. Along with the lessons I learned, um, you know, it doesn't always go up. A lot of times, certain aspects of my income go down, and we talk about all that stuff so that other people who are interested in online business don't have to go through a layoff or go through a lot of the same mistakes that I made um, in order to discover the possibilities and what opportunities are out there for them. And this site has exploded. I have incredible numbers, uh, you know, as far as traffic and subscribers. Um, also, a podcast to go along with it that just passed four and a half million downloads. A YouTube channel with over 20,000 subscribers and almost 2 million views, I believe. It's just been an amazing journey. Um, I have a number of other businesses from the iPhone app business to ebooks that I've created and um, you know websites in the security guard industry. I'm building one for food trucks right now. It's just all over the place, but it's because I love it. I'm an entrepreneur. I have all these ideas, and I do what I can to execute them, and I learn from my mistakes, and I share them on my blog. Awesome. And so let's dive a little bit more into the revenue because I, I think I looked at your revenue numbers last month and it was phenomenal. Can you kind of reveal to the audience how much you made last month overall? <sighs> yeah, last month was pretty ridiculous. Um, I, had, I had grossed over six figures. Um, that was my first time having a six-figure month, uh, $114,000, which is, I can't say it correctly because it's just unbelievable. Um, <laughs> but I, I netted about $99,000, $98,000 after expenses. You know, I had... Uh-huh sort of uh, VAs to pay and, and also, you know, certain bills and things like that related to my business. But I mean, gosh, like that was more money than I would have made in two years working in architecture in a single month. I mean, it's just it's just amazing. I mean, I did, you know, it, it's not always six figures. I mean, that was the first time I broke six figures mm-hmm. uh, in a month. And it was due part largely to um, the release of a course that I just came out with for my audience as well. Typically, it's between forty to $60,000 a month, I think, in in August, um, I haven't come out with a report yet, but it's about it's around seventy thousand. So it's 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 high and it's up there. So it's doing really well. Business is great, uh, but again, the numbers aren't what's most important to me. It's it's the lessons learned and what I can share from what I've learned along the way. Um, obviously, the the money is great. And it's helpful as far as the less living the lifestyle I want to live. I have two kids. Um, we have a very modest home, and we just um, play all day. And I work typically at night. I mean, that's that's my dream, and I'm living it, which is awesome. Beautiful. Yeah, not you know, not a lot of people can say that. It seems that you have you know a very good uh, balance between work and family. Can you kind of walk us through how you balance that out? Sure. I mean, I always got to remember why I do what I do, and I think that helps guide me because a lot of people they become an entrepreneur and they forget why they want to become an entrepreneur. And life is being an entrepreneur as opposed to being an entrepreneur so you can live life. And for me, that's hanging out with the kids and with my family. So that that's always what I do first. I always give 
to my family first and then work later. Mm -hmm. So most of my day is spent with them. I have two young kids. My daughter just turned one and my son is about to turn four. Um, so they're not in school yet. And so I want to make sure I give all my time to them before they you know, go off to school and I don't see them anymore and they become teenagers and don't want to see me anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, trying to establish a strong foundation in the family there. And I do most of my work at night and I do that for a number of reasons. One, it's just with two crazy kids in the house, it's much easier to get work done in focus. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't even think about work until later in the evening once they're down to sleep around 8 p.m. And that's when I can really focus. And I've sort of figured out also that that's actually when I'm the most creative. So um, I don't even try to force work into times where work is not, it's not the right time of day for me. So I have to work with my body and my mind to produce the, the best outcomes mm -hmm. uh, that, I, that I can. But there's also a lot of, you know, it was a learning process. It didn't always happen and it wasn't always balanced, I guess you could say. I mean, mm -hmm. especially at first, even before I had my two kids and I just started my online business, I remember being married and um, getting to a point where I was working way, way too much. And I would, I would even have conversations with my wife sometimes. And in the back of my head, even though I was talking to my wife, I would still be thinking about my business or some, the next thing I had to do or an email I had to answer later. Like, I know that's very common for entrepreneurs and mm -hmm. um, that wasn't fair to her. So we had a nice sort of discussion about that and uh, I soon learned that I was I was not you know I was putting entrepreneurship um, in front of everything mm -hmm. and so there were certain things I needed to do to better balance and sort of create that line between personal life and work life and there were certain things that actually worked out um, one of the first things I did was I created a schedule mm -hmm. now I always know we talk about like escaping the nine-to-five or getting rid of that nine-to-five mm -hmm. job but Working, working for myself, um, especially from home, I, I need that schedule. I need that structure or else I'm not going to know when it's personal time. I'm not going to know when it's work time and they're going to overlap. And it's not fair to those people around me and also not fair to myself. Mm -hmm. So now that I have the schedule, when I'm in work mode and it's time to work like it is right now, mm -hmm. I can switch my brain to work mode and turn everything else off and get as much done as I can, be super focused and productive. Mm -hmm. And when it's time to turn it off, I can put work aside and just focus on my family um, so, so that's been really helpful. Another really helpful thing is actually creating a separate physical space to do work. So not only having a, a, a certain time to do work, but an actual space. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in this space, I'm focused and productive and focused on work. And when I'm out of this space, I can close the door. Lucky, luckily, we have an extra bedroom in the house that I can turn into my office. Mm -hmm. I can close the door, and when the door's closed, my mind turns that part of my life off, and I can go do the things I need to do. Mm -hmm. You know, that's funny, because I actually have um, a thing with my girlfriend where it's like, if... I go into a certain area, like we just cannot talk to each other until like that person comes out. It's kind of like a bubble. Yeah. So it's sort of like that. Yeah. Yeah. You need to create those boundaries. It's really important. Actually. Yeah. And, and probably the, the biggest thing I learned from all that was you got to communicate with people around you, just like you talk to your girlfriend about that. Just right. so everybody knows what they have to do or what they need from each other. And this is the most important thing. Yeah. And you know, the thing is a lot of entrepreneurs, they turn into workaholics and they tend to like, you know, neglect, neglect their family at the end of the day. And it, all it takes really, what I'm getting from you is it just takes a little effort to kind of put these processes into place so you don't kind of forget about your family. Is that right? Yeah, it, 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 yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not like you forget about them, but it's just like mm -hmm. you're always thinking about your business. I mean, working for yourself, it's really hard to turn it off because you can always do more. Mm -hmm. It's not like a job where you can just walk away and, and, and you want to go away from it. As an entrepreneur, you want to keep working on your business. You want to keep trying to improve results and, and do better. And so it's hard to turn that off. And yes, there are times when I'm in personal time, you know, I, may, I might even be like at an amusement park or something and I'll get an idea for something that I need to do. You know, you can't help do that. You can't help but do that. Um, yeah. But 
there are certain things I do, like I just keep track of those like, random ideas that come in my head or, you know, quick little to-dos that I know I, or remember I have to do later. Um, I put them in Evernote. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of my bank for things I have to do later when I'm in work mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's my way of not turning off completely and, be, you know, because sometimes the best ideas come at, you know, at random moments of the day mm-hmm. and you want to make sure to keep track of that. So I use Evernote on my phone to keep track of that. And then when it's work mode, one of the first things I do is go in Evernote into my inbox and separate everything, put it in the, in the sort of notebooks that they need to go in and act mm-hmm. on anything I need to act on. Yep, and I use Evernote a ton too, so I can, you know, plus one uh, Pat, Pat's recommendation here. Um, so I guess, you know, you've been building that brand since you've been laid off uh, since 2008, so, you know, five years. Um, for people looking to kind of get started, um, you know, even backtracking a little bit, for someone that wants to become like the next Pat Flynn or whatever, do you think the ship has sailed or is it really possible for anyone still? Um, it's so funny when, they, when I hear like, become the next Pat Flynn, like you don't want to be the next Pat Flynn, like don't be like me. Don't be like anybody else but yourself. So I know what you're trying to say when you say yeah. don't, you know, be the next path. And like, right. is, is there still success still available big brand. Right. online? Yeah. Um, is there, is it still possible to create a brand like that? Absolutely. People are doing that every day now with different things in, in, in different niches. You just, um, you know, the, the, there are more tools available now to do that mm-hmm. um, and, and tools that make things easier than they were ever before. I mean, if things were around now when I first started, I would have gotten off the ground much faster and been able to serve my audience much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's a really a matter of finding your niche, a market that needs help. It could be a market that other people are in too. I mean, it's actually a good sign when there's other competitors out there who are providing some service or tools or information, um, software, whatever, for a t- particular market because you know that there's a market there. Well, go in there if it's something you're interested in, um, and and just you know be a customer and see what's missing. You know, go through that experience or, or or be a part of that target audience and just try to find the real missing elements and then be the one to provide that solution. I mean, that's sort of how the approach I'm taking right now with this food truck industry website that I'm creating. Um, you know, sort of a sort of a fun little challenge I'm I'm, I'm doing publicly on Smart Passive Income. I'm building this website from scratch, and I found out that through my research that the food truck industry is still so new um, and, and a lot of people are interested in it and there isn't any good central location for information about how to start one or even how to run one or you know the business aspect of uh, food trucks and um, there are a lot of things I learned about this industry by simply going up to people and asking them. Uh, I frequent the food trucks here in San Diego every week, twice a week they huh. get together in certain areas and I go there and I talk to the owners and I find out exactly what they would what would improve their lives as a, as a food truck owner. Um, and, and it's just amazing the things you can learn when you ask people um, in a particular market, you know, what's missing. And if you can go in there and fill in that void, I mean, you're going to become that thing that people talk about and share and, and, and spread around. And like I said, tools to do that are, are more readily available now than ever before. Um, it's just a matter of doing the work and putting yourself out there and experimenting and understanding that it is going to be a struggle. It's, it's a long process. I mean, a lot of people hear my ebook story, how I made, you know, eight grand that first month I launched it. Well, they forget that I spent a year to a year and a half, like, building that business or creating that drive without me even knowing it, of course. But I was writing every single day. I was building an audience behind the scenes and, and providing information for them that they needed. Um, it was just fortunate that I learned that eventually they were there once I opened it up and began to monetize. But... Again, it takes a lot of work, a lot of time, and, and um, you just got to find that market, find out what their pain points are, and be able to provide for them. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you know, the theme, and I see this with a lot, of, you know, a lot of different entrepreneurs, like you're doing this interview with B right now. 
there's entrepreneurs that respond to like every single interview and all that. They're always trying to, you know, help other people kind of pay it forward and, you know, provide as much value as you can. It's like you said, it's not so much about the revenue. It's as long as you provide a ton of value, you know, that money is going to come in, but it's all about value first. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's understanding what exactly your target audience needs and providing for them. And they're going to pay you back one way or another if you can actually help them out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm at a point now where people are like, okay, well, when's your next product coming out? I just want to get it. I don't care what it is. I, you've just given so much to me now mm-hmm. that I just want to pay you back. I mean, that law of reciprocation is, is, is there. Mm-hmm. And if you could give and you could, you could go out of your way to give, a lot of those people are going to give back. Um, I mean, the same thing happened with my uh, lead exam book when I first came out, mm-hmm. because a lot of people who were on, you know, that website, um, you know, they had already passed the exam. They were using it to help them, you know, further down once they were actually applying that information. And they saw me come out with this book, and they bought it anyway, even though they passed the exam. I got dozens of emails from people saying, Pat, I passed the exam. I don't need this book. I'm not even going to open it, but I wanted to pay you back for all the information you gave me. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had to do this, and I thought that was really, really cool. I mean, I didn't understand it at first. I'm like, mm-hmm. you could have just walked. You couldn't. Have, you didn't have to say anything. Yeah. But it showed me that people. I mean true, genuine, honest people, and there are many of those types of people out there, um, they're going to want to pay back if you if you serve them in one way or another. Right, absolutely. And, you know, you look at, uh, you know, your blog or Neil Patel's blog, um, who's a big internet marketer, or even uh, John Dumas from, from, you know, Entrepreneur on Fire. It's all about giving as much as you can. And then, hey, you might get something back. You might not. Who knows? You probably will, though. Um, but I think that's a very, uh, very good lesson to take away. Um, so on the tactical side of things, you know, something to take away for, um, you know, people looking to build their blog or their brand, um, what would you say were kind of the most effective tactics for, uh, you know, growing your blog in the first two or three years? Well, in the first two or three years, it's really important to be present on your, on your blog. I, uh, once I started to respond to every single comment and be there and answer emails and actually reach out to people who were there in the beginning, um, that's when things started to finally take off. I mean, I think in the beginning, that's when you do have the opportunity to do that because I'm at a point now where it would be impossible for me to respond to every single comment, mm-hmm. every single, even every single email now. Um, but in the beginning, it's really important to be present to show people and, uh, and to, that you're there mm-hmm. as as the blog owner or the brand, um, you know, as the brand, and and that you're there and listening to them because that they'll attach to you as a result of that. If you just you know write write a blog post and people comment and you don't respond, I mean they're never going to know if you're actually listening to them. Mm-hmm. But if you respond, that's how they know you're listening, and that's going to differentiate you between everybody else. And yes, some of those people might not resonate with you and your particular style, um, and that's okay, but the people who will resonate are going to be there and follow you if you show yourself a little bit. Um, and, and that's another thing that I kind of did. Um, you know, I know I did a lot more than other people. Was I, I shared a lot about who I was you know, outside of business, my own personality, who I was. A lot of people know I have two kids. A lot of people know I play fantasy football and was in the marching band at Cal and you know a lot of those are things that like have nothing to do with online business but it has everything to do with building a real relationship with people and the approach you should take with your brand is you really want to build a real relationship with those people because that's when people um, come back that's when people share you because they trust you with their friends and followers that's when people will buy from you uh, eventually down the road because they trust you and that trust can only happen if you build that real relationship so that goes along with responding to every comment but also goes with you know asking questions and, and opening lines of communication uh, between you and your audience i mean i think that's really important um, another you know i got to a point in my blog where you know i just felt like i was getting the same amount of traffic every day and the same amount of comments and i was speaking to the same people and there was actual decisions that I made to try and get more people 
in front of my brand. Mm -hmm. And there were two things I did sort of on the timeline. The first thing I did was actually I opened up a YouTube channel. Um, so youtube.com slash smartpassmakeup. And it was a fantastic way to get my brand not only to deliver more value to my existing people, but also to get more eyes on my brand because YouTube is obviously the number, you know, uh, I think it's the number two search engine in the world behind Google. It's uh, more people are watching video now more than ever. Um, and, and it's something that a lot of people love to share. So what I did was I used the YouTube channel to answer specific questions that people had, and and, and it took off. I mean, remember I remember getting um, actually this is I guess a cool tactic if you want to talk strategy mm -hmm. on my email list when people sign up. I think it's the third or fourth email. The question I I actually ask people on my email list a question. So I gave, I engage with my audience on my email list. A lot of people don't do that, but I ask them a question. Mm -hmm. I say, well, what do you want me to write a blog post about? Or what are you struggling with right now? Things like that. Mm -hmm. And I'll get a constant stream because new people are subscribing every day. I get a constant stream of emails every day from my audience mm -hmm. telling me what it is they want to write, me, write a blog post about or what, quest, what questions they want me to answer or what are they struggling with. So I know what my audience wants. And I, sometimes if I get you know, multiple people saying the same thing, I'll create a video. It was like the highest quality form of content, and I'll answer that specific question. And what I do is I put that on YouTube, and I get the link, and I send it to everybody who asked that particular question. I say, hey, I made this video for you. So those people become super fans because they're like, wow, you created this video to answer my question? Like, mm -hmm. thank you. But at the same time, if a lot of people have the same question, a lot of more people who aren't even on your blog yet are going to have that same question as well, and you're going to be there to answer them. And one particular video I want to point out was, um, was way back in 2009 when I created my YouTube channel. Um, it answered the question, well, how do I create a Facebook landing page? And this was something, you know, a page, uh, you know, people go to your Facebook page and they go to a particular page instead of, you know, your wall because you can have people do certain calls to actions there, like, like your page or become a fan. And so I created a video tutorial on how to do that. Like five or six people had that same question. Did the same thing, sent them the video. They were extremely impressed and, and happy with that. But that video, and I actually had to create two other ones because Facebook kept changing the way um, it did it. But those three videos combined that talked about how to create a Facebook landing page mm -hmm. amounted to over 750,000 views. Whoa. And it was just crazy how just creating this answer for somebody mm -hmm. that had a question amounted to that many views. And obviously, there are links in the description and calls to actions in the video to come back to my site as well. Mm -hmm. So that's a very good strategy, and that definitely increased, like you can see an uptick in my analytics, mm -hmm. an increase in traffic because of YouTube. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, I created a podcast. In a similar fashion, my traffic plateaued even after YouTube. It was a higher plateau, of course, mm -hmm. but I was looking for other ways to reach more people, and that's when I decided to um, create the Smart Passive Income podcast. And I always knew a podcast was great because, like I talked about earlier in the beginning, it was a podcast, the Internet Business Mastery podcast that kind of got me to take action and help me realize what was available. So I always knew a podcast was a great way to reach people, but I had no idea it would have this kind of impact on my brand. And I did a survey on my blog in 2010 or 2011. I should rerun this survey, but I'm pretty sure the numbers are still the same, if not even more surprising or higher. Um, I asked my blog readers, well, how did you first find out about Smart Passive Income or Pathlink? And the number one answer was through my podcast, through iTunes. 20%, one out of every five people who are now reading my blog found me through my podcast. Number two was YouTube. Number three was links on other sites. Number four, five, and six, that's Google, Facebook, and Twitter, yeah. which is where most of us spend most of our time researching or, or focusing on you know, social media and SEO. Mm -hmm. But it was those components that were an extension of my brand outside of my blog, podcast, and YouTube that actually drew in the most eyes. 
So those were specific things that I did to increase my exposure um, in the beginning to get to this point where I'm at now. Yeah, I think what I'm getting at or what I'm taking away here is that you got to be willing to experiment with new things. Like you talk about YouTube um, and you know iTunes being your top two traffic sources. Like most internet marketers will never think that, right? It's got to be Google. It's got to be Facebook, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking in the background. Like there's cameras and stuff. You're always like going all out with like video. Uh, you're trying YouTube. You're trying iTunes and all that. So like yeah. what, I mean, obviously it's very daunting for people to try new things. So what would be your advice to uh, people that are too afraid to, uh, you know, experiment? Well, you have your blog probably, right, where you're writing and that's that's good. You have to have your blog. That's sort of the hub. That's where I drive traffic back to you from all those different um, media sources. But you got you to gotta experiment. If you, I mean, you, you, yes, you, you're getting people, you, you're not reaching as many people as you could if you don't experiment and try other platforms. But think about this. You have a message that can provide value and actually help people out. You can actually change people's lives through your message by not experimenting, whether you're because you're fearful or you don't know where to start or you don't want to ask for help. You are doing those people who could benefit from your message a disservice. You're being selfish by not doing that. That's the, I'm not trying to say that about those watching this, but I'm just saying that's the mind trick I play on myself. If I don't do this, I'm being incredibly selfish. Mm-hmm. I'm not helping out as many people as I could. I'm putting my own fear ahead of the possibility of being able to help out plenty more people. Like we talked about earlier, the more people you can help, the more rewards are going to come your way. Right. right. The more value you can add, the more um, you know. It's just the more people you can reach, the more great things are going to happen to you. Um. So so that's the mind trick. You know, I I like to play with myself. And 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 if you're thinking of expanding out outside of your website into these other media platforms, and it mm-hmm. you know. You got to think of, of of the fact that you know your blog is for people who read, mm-hmm. and your podcast would be for people who only like to listen, and your videos for people who like to watch. That's sort of approach I take. I, but I got all the types of ways that people can consume content, so people have no excuse not to put Pat Flynn in their life one way or another. You know, they they have all the ways to do it. Um, and 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 if you're just starting out, you know, it can be tempting to do all three blog, podcast, and YouTube at the same time. I would not recommend doing that. Actually, I would do what I did, which is. Start with your blog, focus on that, get it to a point where you're comfortable with adding something else on and just pick one. Pick a, pick a YouTube channel or a podcast mm-hmm. and start with one until you get comfortable with it and you can get to a point where you feel comfortable and it makes sense for you, if it does, mm-hmm. to add another leg into your brand. I'm actually at a point now where um, you know, I have those three channels working for me. I wrote ebooks and, and have tried to utilize Amazon to get more exposure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually thinking about doing a monthly webinar. Completely free Q&A session, no pitch whatsoever for my audience as well. Another way to provide value, another form of media, you know, um, you know, another medium to, to be able to provide for my audience. And also it puts me at that higher authority level. Hey, are you going to Pat's webinar this month? Or, you know, just like how people listen to my podcast and YouTube video, I'm not just a blog anymore. You know, I'm an actual, I have a brand. I have all these different components. But it didn't start with all those different components. It started and took one step at a time. Got it. So test everything, do things that make you feel uncomfortable. Yes, but as far as like, you know, if you're trying to decide whether you want to do an audio podcast or a YouTube video, start with the one that you're most comfortable with. Yes, they're both going to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and it's good to get uncomfortable. I'm glad you mentioned that because typically, I mean, in my experience, when I've been the most uncomfortable, like when I started my YouTube channel or my podcast or doing public speaking or putting a book out there that I wrote, um, those are really uncomfortable moments, but they've always yielded incredible, incredible res- results. So I almost feel like I need to put myself in uncomfortable situations to get bigger results. You know, higher risk yields higher rewards. But 
speaking of risk, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You put out a podcast, maybe you won't get that many listens. That's fine. You tried it. Try something else after that. Got it. Cool. So, you know, obviously you did everything in the, when you were starting out, you did everything on your own. When did you decide it was the right, what was the, the criteria you set for it's like, oh, I need to, I need to hire people now. I need to start bringing on people. Well, I, I went through different stages with getting people to work for me because I remember in the beginning, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs are like this, mm-hmm. you know, we don't, we don't, we want to do everything ourselves. And I don't know whether it's not because we don't trust other people to work on our stuff or we're, I mean, at least for guys, I mean, we're so prideful of wanting to do everything ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we won't stop for asking for directions if we're lost. Uh, we'll try to figure it out on our own. Um, but you got to get to a point where you got to realize that there are other important things that you should be doing other than those other things that, that you might not enjoy or you don't know how to do. You don't have to figure out everything on your own. There are people out there who can help you do things much faster and much better than you could ever do, which would open up more time for you to do the things that you should be doing. Um, I remember my first experience with a VA, a virtual assistant, was back in 2008 when I actually turned my ebook into an audio guide. That was the sort of second product that came out with. So if, at first, I wanted to do it on, on my own. I had a microphone. I was like, okay, I'm just going to read my book and turn it into an audio book. So I did that for three days. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the final product, and it was the worst. It was it was ridiculous. Like it was the worst audio ever. It, like the quality was was poor. I don't know how, but I was reading and I was still saying um and uh like in the middle of sentences. Like it didn't make any sense, and and I couldn't put it out there. And so I asked my people, some people in the mastermind group, well, what? How do? How am I going to do this? How am I going to create an audio guide? And they all laughed at me because they were like, "You tried to do this yourself. Mm-hmm. You should have hired somebody to do it for you." And I didn't even know that was possible mm-hmm. back then. And I was like, "Okay, well, how do I do that? Where do I go?" And they were like, "Oh, well, you can find someone on, you know, a Filipino VA, or if it's just a one-time thing, which it was, you can go on a site like Elance." Mm-hmm. And that's so. That's what I did. I put a job up there for someone to read my audio guide. And, uh, you know, there's all the different bids from like $500 to $3,000. And I picked a woman who was going to read it uh, for about $1,500. Mm-hmm. And that was more money than I ever spent on anything business related at the time. And I was like, you know, I was making money, but I, I had never spent that kind of money on my business. Right. I mean, I, thought, I, I almost thought it was kind of ridiculous that I could spend, I had, that I was going to spend money on something that I could possibly do on my own. Like I could retake it or whatever and re- retry to do the recording, but I did it, and I'm so glad I did, because she turned it around in a week, was super high quality, and I sold it um, on its own on my site, or packaged along with my ebook, and I made up the cost um, of that in two days. And it was ridiculous, because all I did was put out a job, and I got the, the deliverables back, and it was done. And, and that was my first sort of taste of using VAs, and having other people do stuff that I either I, I didn't know how to do very well or didn't know how to do at all or or just shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then, you know, just learning over time, I've, I've, I've introduced more VAs into my team and people who could help me out with doing things that I could do on my own. Mm-hmm. And I'm more comfortable doing that now, uh, let, like opening up parts of my business to people who, uh, who can do those things even though I could do them myself, mm-hmm. but because I know that my time is better spent doing the bigger ticket items or actually interacting with my audience uh, as opposed to you know, you know, doing research online or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm at a point, because I have all these different projects and I have a little bit of money, um, I actually have, uh, uh, I guess you could say like a producer or a project manager um, who works with me on all the different things that I'm working on to keep everything organized, who's sort of like my second brain. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's, he's like kind of OCD, which is perfect because he makes sure that I'm, I'm always on task and, and things like that. Um, because, I mean, I think I'm in a unique position where... You know, part of my business is 
creating new businesses. So I, I, I needed somebody to organize all that information for me. Um, I, I also, um, a big one was hiring my CPA to, to, to help me with taxes and accounting and bookkeeping. I mean, I would not survive without that person. Mm. Um, and then also, you know, a lawyer, if ever I needed, um, you know, some legal things created for websites or ever got into some sort of whatever, mm. um, you know, I have that person on board with me and, and, you know, I just pay them when work happens, you know? So, um, I, I definitely couldn't do all this on my own. That's for sure. And I think you got to get to a certain point where you realize that that's the case. Got it. So last few questions here while we wrap it up. Um, sure. So where did you get your VAs from? Like, is it like, uh, what sites did you use? Uh, I used one site, actually. Uh, okay. Well, Elance and Odesk are great for one-time gigs, but for more permanent positions or things that you have to do over and over again, um, I would recommend hiring a VA from the Philippines. Um, I'm half Filipino, and, and, and you know the understanding is that Filipino culture, they are... They all speak English, they're taught English in school, and they're really, really loyal. Um, so they are like the perfect VAs. And what's crazy is just the sort of difference in how much you might think you need to pay them. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, I actually pay my, um, my web developer mm -hmm. about 700 bucks a month mm -hmm. for about 40 hours of work per week. Wow. Which is like ridiculous, right? And I actually was like surprised that this is the case because this is just the difference between the economies. I actually offered more because I, I, I didn't feel right only paying $700 a month for a web developer to work 40 hours a week for me. I, I just didn't feel right to me. And so I offered more and he was like, his name's Mike, he was like, I don't know. $700 a month is perfect. I don't want any more. And I like was asking people and, and discovered that, you know, in, in that culture, if you have a lot of money, like a ridiculous amount of money, which to them, because of the way it transfers over, you know, seven hundred dollars is a pretty high amount. I mean, mm -hmm. you could live off of that. Apparently, um, you you have like a target on your back if you have too much money. So he actually didn't want that much more money than than seven hundred bucks a month, which is very surprising. But anyway, I got my VAs through Chris Ducker's service at VirtualStaffFinder.com, and I paid about three hundred bucks for them to hand select based on what I was looking to get mm -hmm. uh, three different. VAs and I got to interview each of them and talk to them on Skype and, and just I get a feel for for how they are and then I, I picked one and then I got to work with that person so there's sort of like a headhunter service which is good because they sort of pre-screen people that they're going to send over and so that's virtualstafffinder.com got it virtualstafffinder.com yeah. and how about um, what was I going to ask so what are some like uh, productivity hacks that you can uh, you know kind of share with our audience? Uh, sure. I mean, I already talked about a few things that were important. I mean, we talked about, you know, the lines between personal and, 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 right. and work life. I mean, those are productivity tips, you know, making sure you have a schedule, mm -hmm. making sure that you have a specific space to work in where you're not going to be interrupted and where you can get into work mode. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of, you know, productivity tips are huge for me because I have two kids and I only have, you know, X number of hours to work every day and I make sure that I don't overwork the amount of hours that are allocated. Um, so How many hours are you working a day right now? About four. Okay. About wow. Four. But if there's a particular project that, you know, that there's a deadline coming up, mm -hmm. like recently with my course, I was putting in 18 hours a day and, you know, leading up to that, I would talk to my wife and be like, hey, I got this course coming out. I'm going to be working this many hours. And of course, we were communicating, so she would take the kids more and understand, and our schedules would change a little bit just for those particular moments in time. Um, so, you know, for me, it's like, you know, if I'm coming out with something big, I put in a lot of hours and then boom, it's it's out there and it's doing its thing, you know. Mm -hmm. 
um, which is sort of the idea. Um, I think the biggest thing for productivity for me, and this is, this is going to sound interesting, is is you know eating healthy and and staying fit. I mean, it mm-hmm. sounds kind of like it doesn't matter or like it shouldn't, but it absolutely does. I mean, I found like I've recently um, been training for a half marathon. I actually just ran it a couple weeks ago, nice. and during this training, I was never more productive in my life mm-hmm. when it came to work. I was never more focused. My ideas were just coming out of nowhere like I was so creative um, and, and it just like you know your your body is like you know your machine you know and, and and it's what works and so you have to give it the right fuel you have to train it and and and, and it's just incredible I mean Richard Branson was asked you know what's your number one productivity tip and his answer was exercise mm-hmm. I mean one of the richest men in the world said that, so obviously it means something. And, mm-hmm. and and if you don't believe me, I would challenge you to just try for a month to eat healthy and 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 you know even just walk or run a little bit every day. You're going to see a change not only in physical and how you feel, but just your work and how how much you can focus. Like I can get like one and a half times more done now mm-hmm. as a result of not just sitting around all day in front of a computer, but actually getting up and and, and putting in the workouts and, and actually spending a little bit more time to eat well. Um, and you might think that you're losing time if you like spend an hour a day, you know, working out, but you're actually getting that time back later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just much better, you know? So, so that's probably the biggest, biggest productivity tool. Um, well, one thing I do because I have so many projects also is that I have specific folders mm-hmm. that I create for every different project within each of those folders, like actual physical folders. Um, I have physical folders and each of those folders has a sheet in it, a checklist which is sort of a path from where I'm at now or the beginning all the way to the end. So a checklist of things I have to do in order to complete that project. Mm-hmm. And so the way I work is I'll focus on one particular project. So I'll pull up that folder and I'll open it, whether it's an iPhone app or a course or whatever. You know, this is the thing that I'm focusing on. It's right there, physical for me to see it. And I can see a checklist of, you know, sort of my path on how to get from where I'm at now to where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And What's really the big idea behind this is, you know, you, we have these big, huge goals, these big projects we want to complete. I chop them up into a bunch of little tiny goals, and I actually have them physically there on a piece of paper where I can check off, and it keeps me motivated to keep going. And I can just focus on one thing at a time, one project at a time, but within that project, one thing at a time, the next absolute task. And so this is where this thing called just-in-time learning comes in, where I know a lot of entrepreneurs, and this is how I was at first, you know, there's so much information out there, information overload, so many things to learn, a lot of people writing great content, coming out with amazing videos and podcasts about this and that and this. Well, for me, when I'm working on a specific project, I see the next task on the list, and if I don't know how to do that or I'm trying to figure out how to do that, that's all I focus on, that. Nothing else ahead of that, no other projects. I'm just tuned on that, and I research information about that. So when John Dumas comes out with another, you know, amazing podcast like he does, I don't listen to it until it's the right time because that's what I'm focusing on, if that is something that is related. Um, so I actually don't have an RSS reader. I don't, I don't subscribe to that many podcasts. Mm-hmm. I just look for information when I need it. And I go to the resources that I know that may have it available. Um, or I go to my network. I'm just say, hey, do you guys have any good articles about using Pinterest? Okay, well, then I'll get just a slew of, email, uh, of, of the best content where I don't have to filter them myself. Um, so, so that's a great sort of productivity tip, uh, you know, using those folders and also using your network to help you um, instead of just trying to figure stuff out of your own or find the best information. Um, and then also, you know, just shaving 
as much time as I can from all the little things that I do that are repetitive. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot of emails that are the same. So I'll use tools like Google Canned Response or like Text Expander, just to simply type in like three buttons Good one. and reply to something that I would always reply to anyway. Um, so I save my answers, and uh, you know, if I notice that certain questions being asked over and over again, it's really easy. Just boom, 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 answer, send. Because email is a time suck for sure. Um, and speaking of email and, and also productivity in general, you know, I, I like to do batch. I like to do things in batches. So I'll spend a certain amount of time each day, maybe an hour each day, or or even you know, an hour every other day. That's my time to answer emails. And that's all I'm doing. Again, that's all I'm focusing on. So, so being being very taking that light and turning it into a spotlight and just focusing on one thing is, is probably um, you know the best tip I have. Just so everything else around is not distracting, and I can just focus on that one thing and get it done. Got it. And this is coming from a guy that works on all these different projects. He's a big speaker. He's written books, and it's got a big blog and all that. So you can tell it's not. He's not unfocused. He's actually really focused, and that's why he's had success in so many different uh, channels. Um, so last question here. Um, final bit of advice for um, you know our budding entrepreneurs in the audience. Yeah, I mean, let's see. Which, there's a few things, but I think I think the most important thing is um, to understand that this process isn't always going to be smooth of becoming an entrepreneur. It's going to be a bumpy road. You're going to fail. I failed several times. You ask any successful entrepreneur, you know, about failure, and they'll say it's been a, an absolute a crucial part of the process. You know, you, you fail to learn and keep going. You don't fail to stop. And I think it's it's interesting because society, at least in the, in the U.S., we're so tuned to the fact that failing is, is bad, yep. that failing means you're wrong. And yes, when we're in school, that's the case, and that sort of is why it's so ingrained in our heads that failing is bad. Um, you know, you didn't get this right, bad, bad, here's a bad grade. You know, we're getting punished for failing mm -hmm. ever since we're little. But I think failing is good. Obviously, you don't want to try to fail, but if you fail, it's 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 crucial that you try to understand why, and then you can pivot from there or do something different so that the next time you go on or where, however you move forward, you don't do the same mistake. I think failing is making the same mistake twice because you didn't learn from your first mistake. So um, my advice to you would just be, you know, do everything you can to succeed, but understand that failure is a part of the process. If you fail, that's a good. Keep going and uh, learn from those past experiences. All right, everyone. Thank you so much, Pat. Um, this is going to be really helpful for our audience. I think they're really going to like it. So cool. thanks again. Thanks for having me.